0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Raw, the 90s rave podcast. My name's Tom Natcham, also with my co-presenter Chrissy Richards. And today's special guest is the legendary boss of juggernaut label V Recordings. He's a man who launched the careers of some of the biggest names in jungle and drum and bass while also being one of the 90s rave scene's top DJs and he remains so to this day.
1: He is also an absolute gentleman and the man with the nicest smile in drum and bass.
2: Where is he? <laughs>
1: <laughs> welcome. I need to meet this
2: guy. <laughs> We'd
1: like to welcome to you Brian
2: G. Hello. Uh, yeah, man. It's cool to be here, man. Big oh. up Tom and the crew. How yeah. are you? I'm good, man. I'm, yeah, I'm still kind of buzzing from the weekend.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, so at the weekend, uh, for people who don't know, he, play uh, Brian gig. played out his first gig on a boat um, in uh, yeah. Prague, right?
2: Yeah, man. um I thought I was going to be Rusty G, but Brian G came back and um, did the business. <laughs> it was wicked. <laughs> you know, I played on the boat in, in Prague. And what was uh, it like? It was amazing, awesome. We just sailed up and down the river until we got outside of Prague for about six hours. And we just played music to a crazy up for it, having it crowd. And it just made me realize how much, what we're missing. And i tell you the truth, you know. I just savoured every single second of it. Right? I didn't take one second of it for granted because we haven't been doing this playing DJing and partying for so long. And so I made sure every second I enjoyed, you get what I'm saying? I savoured it. It was just amazing. And it's just kind of got me kind of wanting more again now because during lockdown now, I've managed to kind of accept Saturday night and um, I'm just going to be watching Netflix or (laughs) sitting in the garden or whatever. And it's kind of, I'm getting used to it now. You get what I'm saying? I'm not kind of like having cold turkeys. Like, you know, everyone's different. And I've seen some people reacting different to not being able to to continue working. And some people are like almost having nervous breakdowns. some DJs or performers and artists because it's what we love. And so it's very hard to just lose that, And find, if you haven't got other things in your life that you can focus on and deal with, it it can be a weird place that you find yourself in. And I've seen some people really not being, you know, because it's it's the center, it's the whole of their life. You get what I'm saying? And for me, it is the whole of my life, you know? I've been, you know, running V for like 27 years now. I've been DJing for like 150 years, right? (laughs) You look really good
1: for your age.
2: (laughs) So music is completely everything. You know, I wake up in the morning and it's about the label, the weekends. It's about DJing. You know, promoting parties or whatever, everything I do, you get what I'm saying? I mean, if, if I've got to put like, I can't even put curtains up, I've got to call my brother because I don't know how to do anything else, you get what I'm saying? Because all I know is music. Since I was a little kid, I used to play sound system. I got into music really early from I was like 13, 14 and so I didn't do much at school. I skived school. Is that the word you use, skive? Yeah. yeah, I didn't go to school. And I was just playing music, music, music. I had to make it through music, or it was just that, that or nothing. And so this is my life. You get what I'm saying? And a lot of people are the same as well. So it hasn't been easy. So, but with the label now, fortunately, when the lockdown happened, you know, the label just kind of blew up a bit more in a weird way because I was scared thinking oh everyone's going to be skint, saving their money staying indoors not being able to spend money and I just put an album out this album I was working on for like a year and a half and we just released it the week of lockdown. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? I was like, now nah, to my labour manager, shall we put this back? And he was like, no, 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 let's just take a chance. We can't do that now because distributors have got it. It's all in like ready on beat port, this, that. So it's too much just to, to, um, to change. And weirdly enough, it's been our biggest seller for years. We've had the most, download sales we've had the most t-shirt sales merchandise sales during lockdown it's just been crazy so for that side of the business it's been great because people have been sitting down at indoors just doing nothing so they're buying music downloading music buying gear so that's worked out for me but um missing the gigs do you
1: remember what gigs <laughs> were like i've forgotten yeah, i'm quite jealous about this past yeah, i mean i mean i
2: was getting a lot as I said to you, i was getting a lot of green eyes and red eyes kind of coming through my <laughs> inbox over the weekend not in not in a bad way but just like djs and pun- even punters like really angry because I, I posted some clips on um my instagram and it was just people like you see how can they can do it and we can't do it so people were more having a go at the british government and our setup up here seeing what but you know as i said to you the people in prague they locked down really early they locked down in march because i was even nervous going out there i said I was fully tooled up, gloves, more gloves, mask, more mask, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> hoodie, the whole thing. And when I got there, you know, I was ready for the fight, the war, I was prepared for it, you know what I'm saying. And like, when I got there, there was no one wearing masks from the whole of two days in Prague. I didn't see one mask because of are uh, they dealt well, with so it.
0: So you've got another gig in Zurich coming up, yeah. uh, which... Do you think up, that this is likely to actually, this is where you're going to start, you guys are going to start getting your bookings yeah, well, I've, abroad?
2: I've, yeah, I think there's a few, like, you know, it's not everywhere because you've got places like Spain and Portugal and other places that are really like, you know, it's spiking and whatever. But there are places in Europe which over a few months now have just kind of like had a low, 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 like, Percentage of people with COVID and they got in line, they, you know, I mean, they locked down their borders early and so they haven't got such, so much of a problem. And um, they're getting on with things in a, a few places. So. When do you,
0: when do you anta- anticipate that things might get back to normal in, in the UK? Oh, or do man, you just, what, what's, what's the chat among you guys?
2: This is weird, you know what I mean? Because, you know, when it first started, we all kind of just writ, writ off the year. As far as we're concerned, there is going to be no 2020. That's it. 2020 is done. And over you know over the last few months, things have changed because we just, no one knows what's happening next. You get what I'm saying? This is out. And over the last few months, you know, we've seen bars and things developing and changing. And now there's places where they want to do outdoor events and stuff like that. So I wouldn't have thought that, you know, when the first lockdown started, I didn't think any of this would be possible. So there's a few things that are starting to kind of like, Open, open air events and, you know, drive, like, drive, is it drive-by things? like I think know, that's something else. <laughs> you know, like the drive-ins. Not drive-bys. <laughs>
0: yeah. You don't want that. That's, uh, that's something wholly different.
2: Yeah, drive-ins and stuff like that. So um, there's a, people are just, I think people are thinking more about ways of trying to make things happen now, Because you know, because a lot of things, desperation, you know, people are going down, clubs are going down and staff and people are losing their jobs and all that so people are scratching their heads and trying to find a way to make it happen
1: do you think that the the scene the UK dance scene will ever return to normal or
2: oh please I hope so <laughs> don't say that I mean um, <laughs> I'm I'm one of the ones I'm that kind of like I'm optimistic and I'm thinking like you know you know this is going to be blown over by next year I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, my, all the time I've always looked at like the end of the year, although I don't know why, because no one knows how long this is going to last and it could last longer than we think. You get what I'm saying? But I've always thought to myself, round right about the end of the year. Hopefully not, man. I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to be positive and stuff and looking at a few places in Europe, but then when you look at other places in the world and you see it spiking again and, you're thinking, wow, you know, look at that, you know, Malta. We were all getting hyped to go to Malta. I'm supposed to be playing in, in Greece for in September. It's supposed to be like a big party in Greece, but. I'm hearing now that Greece, Corfu's kind of
1: is spiking oh, and there you go. possibly you going the, onto the quarantine you list you
2: in the coffin <laughs> just, thanks I was holding on sorry so, dude
1: you, sorry.
0: you you and your sit down well I told him about the rave that's coming up that he's playing at and I, I informed him uh, just earlier that it, it's actually going to be a sit down rave and the, the disappointment on Paul Brian's face uh, was, was something I'm I can't say
2: I uh, blame
1: so. him to be fair I mean who
2: goes to a rave to sit on, down I'm just grasping on anything I'm a big I'm a big fan understand. of sit,
0: the idea of sit-down raves. I've got to say, yeah. it's, it's a thing we keep coming back to in this podcast. I'm getting old, my legs are getting tired. I quite like sit-down and uh, listen to some music, well, but I, I can man, imagine as a DJ, it's probably not, not, we take not anything. the same.
2: <laughs> we would take anything right now.
0: Well, we'll uh, talk about V Recordings uh, shortly, because you set that up with Nigel. Um, yeah, yeah. Before we do that, we'll do a little quick get to know you, where we do a quick fire round. We just ask you some questions and there's no prevaricating and you just give us quick quick answers back. Chrissy, do you want to start us off?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, what is your age?
2: My age? Last year, I forgot and my mum had to tell me. I tried to put a year down and she was like, nah, and I had to check and it was right. I was born 1964. So you know what it is? After 56. A, after a while, you stop counting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like, yeah, like, absolutely. I can't remember anymore. No. And you don't want to remember anymore. You get what I'm saying? Uh, where are you originally from? Oh, uh, Cheltenham.
1: Where do you live now?
2: I live in um, Peckham. We call it Peckham. Peckham. Yeah, Dulwich. Dulwich. I, I like to say Dulwich. Of course you do. It's better, it better <laughs> for your house
0: price. Uh, and uh, what's your relationship status?
2: Um, I'm like with my girlfriend. have been together for like... God... You know, I'm terrible, you know, I'm terrible. <laughs> it's like more, sometimes, I, sometimes I'm like, I say seven years. And she goes, what? We've been together longer than that. So <laughs> so I'll be, be careful. what I long, say, term. Like, long, yeah. term. long time. We've long been term. together for a long time. Long term. <laughs> I said. Do you have any kids? If yes, how old? I've got one, you know, one boy. And I, you know, I'd love to have more. I know she wants more because she hasn't oh, got more. Well, right? She wants more, but um I've only got one. And he's a great boy, man. How old is he? Oh, Jordan's like 34 now or yeah, man, he's, he's, uh, he's brilliant he is man he's, like, he's on channel Four news there's the sports report and um he does um, he's on talk sport
0: uh, what's your favorite non-rave tune uh, Chelsea Chelsea <laughs>
2: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a big Chelsea yeah, a day, that makes me happy every time I hear that. Serious. Who's
1: uh, who's the most famous person you've ever met?
2: Um either Quincy Jones or Jesse Jackson which one's probably more famous?
0: What's your who's your celebrity hates? Which, which celebrity really gets your goat? Kanye West. And that's not the first time that's been, that's been an answer, I don't think. No,
1: it wasn't. Do you have a sporting hero?
2: I mean, probably my first sporting hero growing up would have been Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee.
1: What would you say is your
2: best trait? I'm just a, I'm just a great guy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Good answer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what's your worst trait? What's the worst thing
2: about you? Um um always losing things someone says if they walk behind me they'll be rich (laughs) Right? (laughs) serious like you know you give me something i'll lose it in a minute brilliant serious tin and i'm very serious i don't know how there's no one that can lose this thing so quick and it does my head in as well because you know you've just had it
1: Um, and finally tell us one thing about you that will surprise everyone
2: that I'm 56 but I look 26 <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be pushing
0: on the old 26 man I've got to be honest you look good but you don't look that good oh come on <laughs> uh, you're listening to the 90s Rave podcast you can get in touch with us hello at the 90s rave Podcast.co.uk, and we are on all your social media channels we're here with Brian G the V Recordings legend
2: massive are you ready to block out inside the paradise inside the paradise
0: So we're still here on Raw the 90s Rave Podcast with V Recordings' uh, Don, Brian G. Brian, V was founded in 1993 through your friendship with uh, Jumping Jack Frost, Nigel. Uh, why did you decide to start a label?
2: I was working at Rhythm King Records at the time and um, I was just doing like club promotion. It was all like Rhythm King was a very kind of commercial based label. You get them saying, you know, yeah, you had your Betty Boo... X S Express. That first
0: album I bought was right. Boot.
2: Yeah, and then you had, and then, you had <laughs> then you had like On record. Then they went a bit cutting edged like Baby Ford. Remember Baby Ford? Yeah. So they had people like that there, but it was very kind of. Poppy, Housey kinda of bomb you know what I mean? And Merlin and all this kind of stuff and um so they kinda got a bit edgy and they kinda when I was working in our um I would try and tell them to do this and do that and blah 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 and they would listen to me and um someone get, who was it gave me the track your name's not Dan, you're not coming in. Um who done that track? That was um Kicks Like a Mule. Kicks Like a Mule, you get him saying, yeah. And so someone sent me the track and I went to Rhythm King and I was like, yeah, you need to put this tune out and blah, blah. And they, did, they didn't want to put it out. They just thought it was a joke tune, silly tune, you get what I'm saying? And it ended up being a number one. And so they, they thought, ah, shit, Brian Brian's talking a bit of sense here, you get what I'm saying? So they stopped ignoring what I was saying, you get what I'm saying? And then like, I was playing tracks like, um, Moby, Go. <laughs> because I was DJing not much but DJing I wasn't like Frosty or Fabian and Groove right about I was getting a few little gigs here and stuff you get what I'm saying? and you know Moby was a big tune and I was telling them about Moby and they signed it ah. and it went to number one wow. and that's how Moby's career kind of like
0: does he ever thank you?
2: Nope. Cause I was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so they gave me a little label to set up, and I set it up. We had a few little releases, like we signed Congress 40 miles away from them. Yeah. RNS was kicking ass at the time. You get what I'm saying? RNS Records was really kicking ass. And so I was like, yeah, man, these tunes, we need to sign these tunes and all that. So um, we invited Renard over from RNS and um we did a deal with with rns records you get what i'm saying and um to, to put out everything from rns we would put out in the uk you get what i'm saying so that was a great great little move for us you get what i'm saying and i was friends with dave angel because dave just lived down the road from me dave angel and he was making tunes at the time he just made a little bootleg of army um, the erythmics called sweet dreams rca put it out or something like that we gave some of dave's music to renard at rns and he loved it but he um he signed him to um rns records and everything was going good and then one day i went to so we, you know rns UK's popping off they're giving me this label called the white label we signed another track by george kelly called what have you done where did you go is it all in air for me you remember that chin yeah dun, of course. Dun, 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 dun it was yeah. one oh. try featuring Jen, was not it that's, that's it yeah, that's it, yeah. And the, the, um the the boss martin who runs rhythm king he had a nephew and he was like brian uh, my nephew's um trying to make tunes as well why don't you like go into the studio with him and bring some of your ideas and stuff so i went over to the studio and stuff and we did um did a couple of tracks and um we released them on this and we call it the magus project and we released them on um rhythm king as well it's just a a, a second label from rhythm king or the white label and so we put that and just after that i went into the office one day because apart from that we used to do club promotions and so like um we used to mail out all the shut up and dance early stuff all the that time rebel mc was called rebel mc and we used to mail out like all his stuff as well and now uh, we was the first one i remember when johnny um Urchie so and all that came into the office and um that time it was his first true you note, know, you know johnny and all that so it was my job to go to rage and wherever and find Fabian Groove Rider and all the DJs and EUR give them all these hot TPs and all that so you know I mean that was my job at Rhythm King to service the DJs and stuff so I was loving it and um they just said yeah we're gonna have to make some cuts and close down a few of the labels and stuff and yours is gonna be um your department's gonna be one of them but before that happened there was these guys from Bristol and um they were we we signed a house track call from them. They they were called Absolute Two, and they were always saying to me, "Oh yeah, I got some friends in Bristol, and um, they're making this like jungle music sort of stuff, and you should have a listen to it." But I didn't take no notice and <laughs> shit. You get what I'm saying? Because you know what I mean. And then it never take off. Yeah, and then when the label when the label arm um, closed, I took the CD or oh, it was tape at the time. I took the tape with me that he gave me, and I listened to it, and I thought, "This is all right. This some of this stuff's okay." And I looked and it was like some, you know, Ryan Williams and I went, phoned him up and he said, come down to Bristol and we can talk because I like the stuff. You know what I mean? So I said, Frost, come, let's go Bristol, man, um, because these guys in Bristol are making some wicked tunes. And we went down there and I met Ryan and then he had his friend called Kirk who happened to be Crossed and Ryan was Ronnie. So, like, you know what I'm saying? And then they had another friend called Die, And they all, like, said, yeah, you know what I mean? We're making tunes, but we, we ain't got no label or nothing like that. And I was telling them about my journey that... Ka-ching! Yeah. No, but I, yeah, I just said Rhythm King is finished. But I, I wouldn't mind starting a label and putting out your stuff. You get what I'm saying? Because I just love, like, they had a kind of, like, early jungle thing, like what Reinforce was doing. But they had their own little Bristol kind of vibe to it it wasn't so like dark as the bristol stuff you know what i mean it was more bouncy and i loved it so we just took a punt on it and just um decided to start a label and um i was in camden market because i had a friend there called Oris, and he had a stall uh, Camden tunes and all that. You know, you know, Oris? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I used to, because I used to always bring white labels down there, boxes of records to Oris. and me and Oris was really good friends. You get what I'm saying? So I just hung out there all day with him, smoked weed. We used to go there was a there was a pub just just round the corner from the market, and we used to go there all the time. And next door to the sh- pub there was a record shop, and um, it was called Vinyl Experience. I needed a name for the label so I call it Final Experience. That was the first, uh, when the first V release was called Vinyl, because I just nicked it from the record shop (laughs) and I was out there drinking and I couldn't think of a name, so I thought Final Experience, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So we we um, we called it Final Experience and then the first two releases came out as under Final Experience and we just thought this is a mouthful, so we just took off the, I know <laughs> <laughs> I know experience and I um, just went with V <laughs> well,
0: uh, it's easier that's much what my easier mouthful. so
2: um, I, yeah.
1: I love that as well because you know when you ask people why did they choose their DJ name or their label names and you, you kind of most people I think expect this really wonderful story <laughs> it's just, and it's usually always something really quite funny <laughs> it just all into, just that's, a bit that's lazy. what I'm saying
2: it all <laughs> folded into place there wasn't no rocket science thinking Stop. about it no boardroom meetings or nothing like that it's just like we just like fell into it sort of thing you get what I'm saying
0: drum and bass is uh, often regarded as a London thing and there was a documentary recently the Terry Turbo documentary where it was like talking about London being the home of drum and bass being someone who's lived in London but actually pushed a lot of Bristol artists and the Bristol sound does that Narrative annoy you?
2: No, I understand it. I understand it because if you even talk to some of these guys as well, if you talk to the Bristol guys and all that, they would say you know what I mean. Their influences was listening to like bookum hype, and all the things that were coming out of London. So I think they understand the putting
0: giving it a Bristol, yeah, it a Bristol they twist.
2: Just, yeah, they just brought their influence to it. But you know, it was not more it was very a London based thing. You had like DJ SS doing a lot of stuff up in the Midlands. Mm. And and then uh, apart from that, really, it was just more moving Shadow, doing their thing up over in um, like Artford and um, Ipswich and all that kind of area of the um, the country. And that was it. And then the further you went up north, it was more of a happier, hardcore sort of sound. Do you get what I'm saying? So it was, you know, Manchester and all that. It was more your piano-y kind of hardcore stuff. But down south, more, it was more bassy, more rolling, more jungly, more urban, you get what I'm saying? An arm. So it was London where that kind of original sound originated from.
1: We would love to continue bringing you quality content, but with better and more up-to-date equipment. If you could chuck some pennies in our direction and help secure the future of this fantastic project, that would be awesome. Our GoFundMe page is gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. Now we're going to give some massive big ups to some generous, generous, generous folk. They are Alcyon and Jay Ransom, Mark Simmons, a.k.a. Hovis Buns, Ruben Wurlidge, Mel Casey, Tom Evans, Tom Lloyd, Arthur Roski and Ica Green. Thank you very much from all of us at Raw. You're in tune to Raw with myself, Chrissy Richards, and Tom Latcham. We are here with our special guest, Brian G. So, Brian, V was left out of a, a DMB Arena documentary about the history of music, um, despite you helping They're to shape the scene.
2: They're lost, yeah. <laughs> I what feel like i It
0: caused a stir, didn't it? How did you feel yeah,
2: about it? But it caused a stir. But you know, I wasn't really angry about V not being in it. That wasn't that wasn't what we were angry about. We were just angry about. The documentary itself, it kind of like, they had said at the time when they were doing the documentary, drum and bass, history of, doc, history of drum and bass through the eyes of drum and bass arena. No one would have, uh, you know, eyelid about it because it's through, it's their vision. Mm. And everybody knows drum and bass arena can very focus on a lot of the commercial side of things as well. But they kind of branded it as the history of drum and bass jungle so when you're going to do that you got to do it properly you have to do your research yeah, you, r- you, remember if, if you're yeah. doing it through certain your eyes or whatever then you can get away with well this is how i saw it you know what i'm saying how i see it. but if you're going to make this look like the history of drum and bass and jungle make sure you you know make sure you do it right mm. because you're going to get you're going to get a lot of flack if you don't and that's what and that's what my beef was was that i looked at the documentary and it wasn't because V wasn't in it, but it just wasn't covering for for something that was taking that title. The history of drum and bass, it wasn't covering the real history. And a lot, so we was angry because a lot of people were missed important people that probably weren't your cool, weren't cool names now weren't like oh they're not chasing status or they're not sigma or whatever but without these guys shit wouldn't happen and wouldn't be at this stage where it is now you get what I'm saying so don't try and write history and rewrite history with, and because you know I've got people like this guy in the office Particle he's a young producer at Critical but he's like 21, 22 he's young you get what I'm saying and he's willing to jungle if for him to sit down and He's sitting down and he's watching that documentary, and that's the history of jungle drum and bass as far as he's concerned, because it's coming from a a good source, drum and bass arena. So if you're going to let the kids and all that, you want to educate, and you got to make sure it's right. You get what I'm saying? Because they're seeing that and they're thinking, "Oh, I see Sigma in there, I see Chase and Status, and oh, what's not to be?" How
0: did Drum and Bass Arena react to your uh, upset about this?
2: Well, the, day up, the next day they call me and they apologise. Right. C- because I know them guys, I think about it, I know Risky and I know the guys behind Drum and Bass Arena and I said to them, how the fuck did this get past How the fuck did you like sit down at the end of this documentary when it was made and said, yeah, we're happy? How could you have done that? because it missed so much important things important people and it said so much wrong things as well that made me angry you get what I'm saying and so I just thought to myself from a you know people that have been in I would expect this from some people that came from Netflix or some people that don't I haven't got a clue but we're gonna make some drum, drum and bass documentary so if that was coming from Amazon or something I would expect that from them but not from drum and bass arena And so that's um it wasn't in V, no, but how can you make a documentary about drum and bass? Shy FX is not in it. The Shy FX, Ray Keith is not in it, DJ Rap's not in it, Brazilian drum and bass is not in it, which has been so, you know, important to the development of, of drum and bass. You know, no DJ Markey and people like that in there. Bristol, the only person they talked to was Ronnie Size. It's just so much was, I can go on and on and on and on. So much important things. And then they, they're they spending so much time talking to Take That. They can put, you know what I mean? They, take That can get, you know? No disrespect, but what the fuck's take, take That got to do with drum and bass? Oh, it's because it's Take That and it's like... Oh, people recognize that bullshit. So it felt to me was like, oh, let's just get all the cool names on this that are into drum and bass more than do a proper documentary. Do
0: you feel that V often doesn't get enough credit?
2: Um, it doesn't bother me, seriously. I you know, just because you know what, we just you know, it's it's something that we're used to. You get I am saying, you know, we're a black run label. You get I am saying, so I've always been aware that you get I am saying we're not gonna get. The, the doors ain't going to be as open as much as white run labels.
0: You think that's true? You think that's genuinely it's true?
2: Bloody true. Well, <laughs> so even, even, it's even, true. I've been e- in this e- business long enough to see it and know it. You get what I'm saying? We've had a journey where when we first started, the face of V was just like black. And then we went, when we started to work with movement, and we had two white faces, Oliver and Ado. All of a sudden, we were doing homeland festivals and we were doing um, all these festivals and all these doors and every, you know, we was doing, um, what's that thing that started in Clapham Junction now, the thing in the park, it started in Clapham, Clapham Common, SW SW4. Yes, SW4, we were the first ones to doing them things, all them things, we were, you know, homelands and all these places, Nebworth, all the festivals, what you see, hospital doing now and stuff it was movement and V doing all them things because we had two white faces running the label, running the business. Soon as they left and it was just me and Jordan again, all the doors started to close. Really? Yeah. And then soon as I've got another white guy now that runs the label called Gareth, soon as he started to run, he's the face of the label, like goes to the meetings. And soon as all of a sudden doors are open well, how again. How do make you feel? Well, you know what? It makes me feel shit, but... It's when you kind of used you grown up like seeing all this. It's nothing new. You get what I'm saying. I've always we've always had to fight against or not fight but work that extra harder and everything else. So this is no difference. You get what I'm saying. When you're black, you're always gonna have to work twice as harder to impress or to to open doors and all that. And it's it's been going on for so long. I just don't I don't try to moan about it. I just try and work hard. You get what I'm saying. Them things them things drive me. You get what I'm saying? Those things drive me to, to kind of like work harder, kick those doors open. You get what I'm saying? I don't, I can sit here and complain all the time, oh, it's not fair, not fair. But nah, I just get on with it. Will like, it
0: ever change?
2: Well, I never thought it would, and over the last couple of months you know i was saying to jordan you get what i'm saying this is the first time because you know growing up and all that like, we've seen all kind of things riots and straight after brixton riots i was there bristol riots and it, straight after these things you always hear there's going to be big changes they're gonna start government's gonna do this and blah blah and then after a couple of months or whatever it gets died down everyone forgets about it and everything gets back to normal but this time since the um Since, since the, what's his name? Oh, God, his his name, uh, the guy from... um, George Floyd. Oh, George Floyd. Floyd, since Floyd, yeah, since Floyd and all that now, it's like, I've seen a big kind of shift, not big shift, but I see like more people, like more places questioning themselves. I see more doors kind of slightly opened and all that. You get what I'm saying? And I'm seeing people, and not just we talking, I'm seeing a lot more, like white people saying they're trying to understand a bit more about this problem. Whereas before it was just us talking about it and looked like we were moaning about it. But I'm seeing a lot of white people now kind of realizing that maybe they have had more privileges Without knowing it, you get what I'm saying. But it's just the way our life is, and it's not your fault if you're white and you will get you get that job be- over a black person. It's it's not your fault, but it's just how the system is. You get what I'm saying. If I was to go to a major record label or a major business or whatever, and the CEO was black, it, I'll be shocked. But you get what I'm saying. But and but it's just normal now because. You don't expect that, so if I did see that, it would be shocked. But but you should, you know, I'm saying you should see these things. I'm not, but I only want to see these things happen for the right reason. And I'm worried now that because of all of this, everybody's kind of like, "Oh, we got to be." I don't want them to start just plucking black people from anywhere who's not good enough for the job or whatever just because they're black. I want Mm. us to get the jobs or get those positions or whatever, be in them places because we're good and we've earned it.
0: What did you make of the, uh, as you spent such a long time in Bristol and you're from the West Country, what did you make of the Black Lives Matter movement pulling down the statue of the slave trader Edward Colston earlier on (laughs) this year and throwing it in the lake? I mean, um, it,
2: it was a great thing to see it was a powerful thing to see you know it's weird because i've always been going to bristol for you know i, I, I used to live in bristol and we used to go to a club called colston all's you get what i'm saying
0: i've got a feeling that goldie did a, his uh, yeah, live show there Ronnie, and Ronnie everything represent and played there a lot it's yeah, a yeah, yeah. it's a real
2: yeah, yeah. sort of um nice place like a where they do big events and there have been many represent shows there and i've actually did um I did a show just before lockdown with D-Mines and um, and Clips. And I ever never knew the history of Colston Alls. You get what I'm saying? So when I saw it, I was like, what? That, we play there all the time. And I never realised that this, there was a man called Colston All, and he was some slave trader and whatever. And he owned... Yes, uh, that's, that's how he made all his money, and basically. And yeah. there's schools called Colston this and... Col- there's a lot of things in Bristol called Colston. And I never, ever realised yeah. the... the what it meant we you know what i mean so that was surprising and when i saw them pull it down i thought to myself good on them you get what i'm saying because how can you have a statue of somebody like that uh, you know paraded in the city who's done who's d- you know done all those things but i do believe that if you pull it down you should have at least a state uh, 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 a museum or somewhere where people can be educated and learn about these things. So they should
0: be in museums rather than a statue. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I think oh, they should be placed in a museum or mm-hmm. something. And so, because I don't think it should be hidden, all this history. So pulling it down, it's like hiding the history.
1: So you, you grew up in Gloucester in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, and on one of our episodes, we spoke to Fabio and Groove about the racism they experienced in South London. What was life like for a young black man in Gloucester?
2: It was what you just grew up. You know what it's like when you grow into something, and you know you get you just don't know any different. So it was just always oh, just like we were black, and we knew where we stood. You get what I'm saying, you know, we knew that um, you know um, we were kind of looked at as second class or whatever. We knew that we had to um. Sometimes we don't help ourselves as with black people as well. You get what I'm saying, but uh, growing up in Gloucester, it was a. It, it wasn't like I was in a place where um I tell you, two, I would just feel more sorry for the Asian people when I was young, because we blacks we stuck together and we would you know we would be in our like black, black communities and we, we 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 were strong as as we 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 kind of we were strong together. You get what I'm saying? And so. No one could, I mean, uh, if we went off into the woods or like into the Cotswold outside of the Gloucester kind of area or whatever, you might come across racism or whatever and you might be in trouble. But we stayed in town all the time, you get what I'm saying? And there was a lot of strong black community and all that. So the the racism was more aimed at the Asian people. People would call them back then, I don't know, pakis. I don't know if they use that word anymore.
1: I'm sure some people still do and <laughs> yeah, definitely that was, shouldn't. Swats,
0: obviously.
2: Pakis and all that. And, um, Asian people were more, they weren't so, they were together, because they were very, but they weren't aggressive, or they didn't show that kind of sh- like, we're not having it, we're not taking no bullshit from anyone. And so they were looked at as the weak sort of, um, mm. people to pick on, you get what I'm saying? So white people would be, or the people, the, the whatever, they would pick on, it would be more race, in Asian people getting attacked, or whatever you get i'm saying because that they didn't have the gangs to kind of fight back or whatever like we blacks now if someone up to we we would call all our boys and ah we'd have a go back you get And some people saying boy i ain't fucking with them jamaicans man because you know (laughs) it's just too much are you
0: are you are you a, a tasty bloke can you handle yourself Back in the day, yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: you're
0: 56 now, and you really shouldn't be rolling around having fights. I mean, that would be very unbecoming. I, but I could
2: find myself okay. around the ring okay. properly, you know what okay. I mean? But I was, you know what I mean? I was, I was never a fighter. I was a lover. lover. <laughs> a lover. <laughs> you know I mean? But um, yeah, the the Asian thing, them they would get picked on more because they were looked at as more weak. And so um, growing up in Gloucester as a black, we just stuck to our own, and it was there, but. It, it wasn't something that was like, oh, was that to kind of like be careful when I'm coming on from school because I might get, you know what I mean? I'm DJ, can't even remember his name, Lunacy, and you're listening to, and now I've forgotten the name of the podcast. <laughs>
1: So you were an early admirer um, of a number of current big-name artists, uh, which include Dillinger, Ronnie Size, Represent, um, and released some of their earlier tracks, which really means you're to thank for helping them to become
2: such yeah, prolific yeah. artists. I, um, I mean, I, I think anybody would be stupid not to have done that. Really. But so how does that make I you feel? So it makes me feel like I just did what anybody else would have done <laughs> because sometimes I don't want to sit here and take massive credit for releasing... Badass Dillinger tunes and badass Ronnie Size tunes because I think it's a no brainer, you get what I'm saying, you know. I just think I was just But you must in that know, place. but you must have
0: known that they were amazing, these guys because <laughs> yeah. you must have got come Dillinger, across loads of stuff yeah, that was Dillinger, rubbish and you yeah. wouldn't put it out.
2: That's right, Dillinger was a guy that just grew up from around our ends. He grew up in Brixton where we lived, you get what I'm saying? So he was always kinda like a fan of watching us what we were doing and stuff. So he was influencing, he used to get the tape packs of me, Frost, Fabian Groove Rider and stuff, and he was very into <laughs> shaka and all that sort of stuff so he grew up listening to us and his influence would be from sets we played and all so that so are you, uh,
0: you are you his hero
2: um <laughs> <laughs> if he was to talk to carl it, I, i'm not gonna lie if because i uh, me and carl are like really cool and we still get on up to now and if if you know sometimes i'll just say shut up carl but he would get drunk and say It's all about Brian G, you know, and so uh, you're you're trying. I mean, everyone could use a friend like that to be honest. How can the king cut Dillinger kind of be giving me props because (laughs) he is the king? You get what I'm saying? So, but he he would look at me, Frost, not just me. You look at me, Frost, and Fabio and Groove as really important influences that that he could feed off and get his vibe from. You get what I'm saying? Because he was too young to go out to clubs or parties. You get what I'm saying? At the time when he was making music. I remember Dylan Joe when he was making tunes and he was a young, young kid. He couldn't even dare come. I didn't think he'd be allowed to come to a party. So that's how young he started. But he needed to get that influence because he wasn't going to clubs so he needed to hear that influence from somewhere and he had a guy called Ruff who we used to go raving with and he used to live next door to Dillinger and he would give him all the tapes and that's where Dillinger learned it from so he would always kind of look back and say Brian is... It was important not just like you know in letting him know what was going down
0: and did you know that dillinger was going to go on to be yeah. massive and the same with ronnie size of course because one music prize in dillinger 1997 just
2: had that sound he just came right and no one sounded like dillinger he just like had that bass and the way he done his breaks and stuff because he wasn't copying anyone He was just stuck in his yard and he just came with this complete new sound, his sound, and it was just raw. He just had this raw kind of jungle drum and bass sound and everything, the hi-hats, the snares, everything just sounded raw. No one could even stand stand up like that. So instantly you liked it because... It was, it was just different you get what I'm saying and what
0: about Ronnie size? I mean won the Mercury Music Prize in yeah, 97 Ronnie, and that basically I think I mean, you might, yeah. might, be, might disagree with me but was pretty much a real game changer for drum and bass you yeah, know it, oh, it, it, it launched it onto a, a, an international an scene
2: that was such an important period and I remember before that period you know I was so unhappy at the time because Ronnie and all them, they were releasing tunes on V and stuff and V was just getting to like the biggest label in the world, right? (laughs) It was just like, because their music was so good. That's how I felt that, you know what I mean? Their music, Ronnie size, cross, die, sub, just bangers after bangers after bangers and V was just wow. And then Talking Loud came along and I didn't really understand, I, I didn't see the big picture all I just saw was this big major coming in and taking my artists as a friends, <laughs> signing them. You get what I'm saying? And I was pissed off, <laughs> serious. And I was really pissed off, but I just knew that, you know, that's just how the business goes. We are independent labels and our job is to find these young um, nuggets, golden nuggets, and, and all then helps. the majors take them on. And it's, But it all helps, doesn't it? it, It's just the history of the beast. You get what I'm saying? But But it helps, doesn't it? Because it because it shines a light on what you're doing. But we were just a road boy, and we just wasn't. We were just like, what? You get what I'm saying? We just like angry about it. You get what I'm saying? (laughs) Because we just thought all this work we'd done, and it's gone. But we didn't see the bigger picture. We just didn't realize that talking loud wasn't just like any other major, because they could have gone to a lot of other majors and end up doing pop drum and bass and just like washed up or whatever and just like you, you, you sit you, and that's what i thought because the pattern of majors signing good un- independent acts and then sort of making them make cheesy because i was even when um when i went to Br- bizarre what was it bizarre ink i went to um brazil with bizarre ink uh, a couple of years ago and so I never met them guys back in the day and so we was all talking to me Dave Angel Bizarre Inc all of us was in Brazil at a gig and they said the same thing you know they were making remember they were making sick tunes and then they got signed and as soon as they got signed I think the majors was like really trying to make them do like what or what was it they started to make poppy well they were originally on um, was it Vinyl Solution Final right? Solution yeah. that's so, right like Plutonic with, playing knives with Knives and all them kind of, kind of tunes Yeah. And then Um, you got to be mine. Yeah, rubbish. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> well it was the yeah. same with we, we, so we you could see th- the big difference and that was the major influence kind of like cheesing them out, yeah. sort of popping them out. But we which, interviewed
0: Lunacy and it was the same thing with with, with, with after he released Smarty Sesame Street with Smarties, they then made him try and do a ballad.
2: There you go. So <laughs> so so for me, that was my vision of where this was going to go you get what I'm saying but I didn't re- you know I didn't I should have realized with a cool cat like Jazz Peterson behind talking loud that was never going to happen and what happened is he just kept said boys just continue what you're doing but they enhanced it they just kind of like they put vocals on the music you get what I'm saying because it, at the time the the stuff on V was just raw jungle, set speed, fashion. Trust me, and they brought vocals to it, and you know, made them into songs. And also, they invested in making them into a group and forming. Instead of just being individuals, they formed them and call them Represent. You get what I'm saying? And they brought in Annalie Lee and Dynamite as front singers, and they invested in them, took them around the world, and trust me. You know the doors that that open for hoping for drum and bass, you know if they stayed to V, would we wouldn't have got nowhere. We wouldn't even got one step up those stairs. You get what I'm saying? So I got I got a funk talking loud for (laughs) serious. I got you know I had to take my words back and thank them because they you know you know much people I'm meeting now all over the world and they saying to me. Their first experience into drum and bass was hearing Ronnie Size live in an environment not like your normal um, fan uh, out. You know what I mean? Because outside the raves, out, yeah, because they could with the investment of talking loud, they managed to gigs. They were doing gigs, proper gigs outside of drum and bass and reach. And then when you heard Represent, I don't care whatever music you like. When you hear Represent. If you don't understand drum and bass by going to the clubs normally and hearing like, you know what I mean, you know, a slip Matter or, or whatever, you could understand it when you hear represent because they just made it just sound so fucking understandable. You could just, you, who could not love represent? Mm. It was one of the best, for me, it is still the best live drum and bass act ever, wow. ever, ever. And there have been a lot since, you get what I'm saying? But none of them have got the energy that represent ads, you get what I'm saying? So I don't know if you guys ever had a chance to witness rep- Represent Live back in the day. But they rocked. Trust me. They rocked they shit. Did. They did. And, you know, that was talking loud. And then they won the Mercury.
0: Wait, did, it say, did that effectively save the jungle and drum and bass scene because at that time it was quite dark it was actually happy hardcore was bigger than it we talked yeah, it a yeah, minute ago about, right. off mic and about uh, how apart the raves c- you were going to uh, the through the ha- massive happy hardcore rooms into rooms your into little, a small little small dingy little room to play drum and bass do you think that that cha- saved uh, the scene from itself in a way made it you know there were celebs started to come you know yeah, to, along yeah, to yeah. your gigs because yeah. it was mainstream and, and the violence maybe yeah. dissipated and, and changed and then
2: you had the same you know you had your Goldie getting involved with it at the same time so Goalie was a big influence and face you see with drum and bass as well there's not enough faces and characters to kind of you know what I mean because it's so it's so um, where, where there's not so much vocals or stuff in drum and bass so there's not so much there's not that those images those you know what I mean stars because it's faceless a lot of the music is faceless in drum and bass so that is kind of not made it kind of get over the line as easy as some other music where we'd have an MC or a rap or whatever. So instantly, you, you can buy into that image. You get what I'm saying? Most of, some big drum and bass acts are by two guys that just don't really care about the media or being stars. You get what I'm saying? So that was so that was the problem with drum and bass. Did
1: you have any idea how how big it would? become did you ever see it being this massive no you never do
2: it see it you, you, you don't especially when you're in the middle of it because you gonna me saying i'm right in the middle so i'm so in in it you can't see rewind my soul come absolutely rough tough and dangerous and we don't stop the body rock until they drop
0: how did you feel when it was uh, at its most dodgy and violent before that moment that you talk about where it made it more mainstream
2: we're dodging violent in what way? Well,
0: cool, the raves, man. You know, oh, like you're know, you go, talking Crack
2: cocaine. Yeah, yeah. crack cocaine. Well, you know guns, knives, all sorts. You know what? I, I mean, I played in a lot of raves that had guns and shooting and stuff. You get what I'm saying? And maybe for me, it wasn't so alarming because I said to you, before I went to that Clink Street party, I came from a, um, a place where raves would get, Robbed anyway you, know what I'm saying? So you were used oh, to it <laughs> yeah. so, so it was just just another day yeah these new raves now after
0: <laughs> Ronnie's size are a bit boring frankly
1: <laughs> so what is your like hairiest moment if it wasn't at the raves is there a party like your scariest moment for violence yeah, quite a
2: few actually I remember being like done over like kicked on beaten up by um, ICF. Is that what they call them? This is like back in 89. And um, we, yeah, we are we doing this club over in Bow and, and we got these crazy, um, big, massive scores that these guys made for us. You get what I'm saying? And we used to hang them up in the club when on a Friday night when we do the events and put light in them. And it used to just help, just as part of the effects and help freak people out and stuff. You get what I'm saying? And we used to take them down and all that when we weren't doing the raves. And then, like someone told us that um some some boys are having a rave um using a using a nightclub using our our effects and stuff you get what I'm saying so we're like I don't know nothing about ICF or nothing never even heard of ICF before in my life you get what I'm saying Jimmy Swallow who's all I've never heard of these guys you get what I'm saying but all I know is we're from Brixton right (laughs) (laughs) we're from Brixton and we you know we got that yardy Jamaican bomber clout vibe right so when we say bomber clout you jump right so we went down there with our bomber clark, rascal, all <laughs> the pussy clark. How
0: did it work out for you?
2: Right, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we if, well, ask frost. How did it work out for frost? Because yeah. so we went. And me and frost went down and now cussing our bomber clark to the guys. Them that um that we didn't know they were ICF at the time. The bomber clark, they turn around and give me a Nigel one hell of a beating. They slapped us, beat us, proper beat us up, you know, because we were just coming because of our attitude of how we would come into them. And they, listen, I'm, I'm surprised we didn't get beat up more, you get what Did I'm they it teach you a lesson? Proper, proper, <laughs> proper. Not, <laughs> in, uh, Nigel and Andy swallowed friends now and all that, like, you get what I'm saying? But, but, yeah, so that was just one experience of just like, you know what I mean, getting beaten up. And then there was all these, there's lots of experience in raves, like, um, Oh well, where can I go now? My first e when um I took my first e because it took me a long time to take an e. I used to see everybody in e, and I was like, Nah, man, just trickling weed, man. I just smoke my weed, and you like mad you with know, all your ecstasy. And your how ever- long did it take <laughs> you
0: to take it? What, what year did you take your first e? Um,
2: I, I I I have to see the flight. It was at a party called World Party, and it was. I think it was up north or something. Well not world dance, world party. And it was my first big, big, big rave. And I was nervous as fuck, you get what I'm saying? And I was like, because you know all the big raves would be like your Fabio, your groove rider and your you know Frost and all those usual suspects. And I managed to get onto this rave. So it was big for me, you get what I'm saying? And I ended up taking a an E and like just before about an hour before my set, I ended up taking an E and then Never took an E before, and I just started to feel fucking like, what the fuck is going on here, man? And I ended up just like I'm vomiting, 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 vomiting.
1: That that only makes you buzz more, doesn't it? Yeah, and
2: I couldn't. (laughs) And I remember I had to find some little, I had to find a corner, hide, and just vomit, 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 and like. I didn't enjoy my set. I had a terrible set. You get Shock. what I'm saying? I mean terrible that's what a set. surprise that isn't. And then my first Donington Park was a weird experience as well because it was like um playing in Donington Park to twenty five thousand bomb wow, fantasia.
1: Yeah. I I wasn't there, but I think that I've seen the video, there's a video, yeah. isn't there, of that one? And
2: I've I, you know, I've never ever like dj and my aunt is going like this so much in my life. You get what I'm saying? It was just like completely like nerve-wracking just to see first time twenty five thousand people in front of me but um yeah i managed to like calm my nerves and
0: how important were drugs to that rape scene for for the music for me
2: obviously when what from what i could see it was very important you know i mean because ease i remember everybody was just talking about ease ease and it took me a long time to take ease but everyone doves Everybody yeah. was talking about love doves, love doves, and how horny it made you a make make, and you know what I mean? And was sex was much better, and this and that. So I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the only reason why I had to try it because everybody was like, it makes you so fucking horny, you get what I'm saying? And you know, I used to see girls on E, and they would be like, they never wanted to talk to me, but when they were on E, they'd be all over me. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I kind of knew the effects of drugs and, and, what it did, and when I did um, try it, I realized um, how fucking good it was. You get what I'm saying? And you know, did it mean?
0: influence any of the your DJing or any of the music that you were putting out?
2: Um, nah, nah, because I tell you, oh, what was going on? We were just mostly into our weed, and we never really went down that sort of thing. There was a period where I was banging to cocaine and stuff. You get what I'm saying? And I couldn't do anything without cocaine. You get what I'm saying? It was like. I'm gonna do a set if it was called if it was like any you know what I mean, so and I thought that played a big part in in um in our DJ. I would think in my head that I can't have a good set unless I get have a quick line. You get what I'm saying? And then as soon as I have a quick line, I would think I'm gonna have a fucking sick set now and, you know what I mean? And so I kinda got into that habit of thinking, Oh, I gotta have a line before a set. Gotta have a line before I set you get what I'm saying? So and then it then it carries on to God, have a line before I do this, God, i got a line before I do that, before you gotta have a line before I go to bed and wake up in the morning. <laughs>
0: and when did you realise that wasn't a good idea?
2: Uh, just seeing just seeing the damage and all that, like, you get what I'm saying, that it's doing to everybody and you get what I'm saying and to myself, you get what I'm saying, and eventually i would make you feel, you get what I'm saying, and you realise that you know what I mean? you got to knock this on the end and so slow down.
1: Are you like totally drug free now or is there the occasional dabble here and there? Yeah,
2: I'm not going to sit here and lie. I'm, you get what I'm saying? But I am like, I'd say 95% drug free now. When you are 56, it's yeah. probably for the best, yeah, isn't it? We can only manage that, that is 5%. The but you know what I mean? I did like, you know, I went out Saturday and I was on the boat and... this guy, I call him the doctor because he was like a chemist. He just had had everything in his back. He kept saying it. Love those guys. I was like, damn. And he was just like there for me. He was just like make, and he he just couldn't give me enough of his pharmaceuticals. (laughs) It's like, I'm all right, I'm all right.
0: No wonder you thought this rave on the boat was fucking brilliant. Maybe it was empty. (laughs) There
1: was no one on the boat. It was good (laughs) asses.
2: So, um, yeah, so I've been, I've been, pretty very good very good because of my age as I said my age is the kind of thing what kind of after you reach a certain age you start thinking you get what I'm saying you you know it took me a couple because so, I used to be able to go on a bender for days and then let's like get on with it in the week and now I used to go on a bender and it used to take me two three days just to get out of bed my body because I was you like hold on oh, no, a second we not that person anymore you get what I'm saying because it lasted for two three days to kind of like get back to normal again. And I just thought my body can't take this anymore. It, it, you get takes, what I'm saying? It takes a producer a week to get yeah, over a so, couple of so, pints so, of Stella. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and lie. But if I do do it, it's very occasionally. And I know the consequences. But it's not like where it'd be a weekend thing where you'd be phoning around, lining up the fins before or whatever. And then when you get to the, you end up just looking for things all the dust done now. You get what I'm saying?
0: You're listening to the 90s Raid Podcast uh, with uh, Brian G. You can email us, hello, at the 90 podcast.co.uk and uh, follow us on all your social medias.
1: So that's it for the first half of Raw's exclusive interview with V Recordings boss man, Brian G. The second part will be hitting the podcast platforms in two weeks. If you're able to spare a few of your English pounds so we can improve our recording kit and continue to bring you quality content, that would be amazing. You can do so at GoFundMe forward slash The 90s Rave Podcast. Don't forget we're also on all your social media channels. Search for The 90s Rave Podcast. Thank you.